Hello everybody and welcome to Sound of Play. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favourite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Leon Cox, in Sound of Play 96 is, from the Cane and Rinse community, it's Brian Edwards. Hi, Leon. Great to be here. Welcome to the show, Brian. Uh, also known as Angry Zeus Gaming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you don't seem like an Angry Zeus uh, from what little I know you at this point, but uh, yeah. it was that, that, that was a name given to you by... By the uh, by, the gods at Microsoft. Yes, it was. Um, it was funny how it all worked out. It's kind of been a little over a decade now that I've had it. But when you were coming up with your first Xbox Live screen name for me, it was yeah. when I got my first Xbox 360, and uh, and that was one of the compound words they just gave me. You know, two, you know, an adjective and a noun, squeeze yep. them together, and that was the one that looked good to me. Yeah, I ended up with mushroom in my name, which <laughs> which I like, but uh, but at some point I decided to change it. Uh, yeah, I just I. You know, it was such a weird thing, wasn't it? Back this for me, it was back in two thousand and four uh, when Halo Two came out, and I had a, an original Xbox, and I didn't know anything about having an online identity, so I just was like, "Oh yeah, okay, mushroom, mushroom ratso's fine." <laughs> uh, and then people used to, you know, make fun of it. Not that I really cared, but. I can't get into a lobby anymore at all without somebody <laughs> picking on Angry Zeus in some way, shape, or form. Nah, well, no, I think it's a pretty striking name, but yeah, I suppose people could take it that you've you you're in somehow you're somehow kind of showing out, being you know, I am the the god of all, I'm the king of all the gods, <laughs> and I'm mad about it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, and it normally ends up being quite the letdown when at competitive gaming's particularly shooters that I am I'm not at all skilled. <laughs> all right. So. Um, so it can kind of be a burden, but I never thought uh, for any amount of time that it was going to stick with me. I never, at that point when creating the name, that your profile and your gamer score, which was a, was a foreign concept to me at the time, would follow you throughout consoles. So oh, yeah. it seemed quite temporary at the time. But. That's true. <laughs> no, it's that that's you for life now. And you've carried the name over onto your blog and uh, forums and things like that. So it is now your identity. Uh, yeah, after after a while, when I decided to try out my hand at a little bit of blogging and 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 writing some music and some other things, that I uh, I needed to kind of cement it. And AngryZeus.com somehow was already gone, so it became Angry Zeus Gaming, and and then here we are. <laughs> here we are. 
Uh, yeah, so um, just to give our listeners an idea, I've, I've described you as a community member. There's nothing I like uh, more than to put uh, a new guest at ease. So so tell me, who the hell are you and what are you doing here? <laughs> uh, well, um, my name is Brian Edwards, uh, also known as Angry Zeus Gaming. I'm, I'm from a little town in western New York, um, outside of Buffalo. And I, uh, I've been a video gamer ever since, ever since I can remember. I, uh, my brother got a Nintendo Entertainment System when he was nine and I was four for Christmas. And the, the way my, my mother would tell the story is that I used to sit behind him with the second controller not plugged in, of course, playing along with him and, and, and not to, and I really have, have never looked back. It's uh, the only, the only true medium that i've ever identified with so and you still uh, uh still playing without a plugged in controller yeah as much as i can yes <laughs> all right uh and so we opened the show there with your first pick um and there's a bit of topicality to this i don't know if it was deliberate on your part but this is a game that uh that i think you know many people probably would have forgotten about even if they if they knew about it in the first place but uh, this week it popped up in my kind of news feed because it's uh it's from the xbox 360 uh this is the game elo milo and uh, it was also on windows phone and pc but the 360 version was the one i had and uh, it's now available to play on xbox one via backwards compatibility so uh just the music for you or are you fond of the game as a whole i'm, I'm quite fond of the game uh i thought it was quite an interesting puzzler i when I first got it, I remember it was on sale um, on, a, on the Xbox store, on the Xbox Live Arcade at the time, mm. and I got it specifically because a friend of mine had told me um, that if you played the theme music along at the main title screen, it, you got an achievement, and, it, mm. and he thought that was kind of a, a, a neat idea, and I watched him do it, and I was like, oh, this kind of seems like a game with some charm, and for some reason, when you, when you start that game and that music is playing, that track is playing, it just instantly it charmed me it let me really know what type of game i was going to be playing right from the beginning and just the the tune of those bells that little melody line was just enough to to, to hook me in and i, mm. I really that, that translated over to the game for me yeah I, I remember this coming out so this is uh 2000 i think i have a feeling it was right around christmas 2010 i guess you got it a bit later if it was in a sale mm. but uh but yeah, i got it when it first came out and i I'm, i haven't played nearly enough of it um, but yeah, I was pleased to see it pop up. Um, yeah, and any any other memories you got regarding Elo Milo or the soundtrack? Yeah, I the the soundtrack of it in 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 total, I think, is strong. Daniel Olson, I, I have the soundtrack uh, downloaded and I listen to it pretty frequently. This is the song that that I easily listen to the most. And the thing about it that 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 really gets me is that it's just short enough to give you everything that it's got, but also leaving you wanting a heck, a heck of a lot more. I, I love. Like it seems like where when that song trails off, it seems like it's going to another place. So it it leaves you wanting more, and um, it reminds me of that feeling. And if you've played the game, where you get the two characters, and the, essentially the goal of the game is to get these two characters to meet at some port, point yeah. point in the map. And when they meet together, the animation that that, that shows, and they kind of dance around, and like this just pure joy of finding mm. one another. It just this this track just really brings it home and it actually just because of the pure joy it elicits for me uh, for some reason it reminds me of my dog <laughs> i don't know why but just the the like when i get home from work and he runs up to me and it's just pure joy and nothing but that's it's just the the song that i think of it just has that feeling of instant euphoria to me 
Oh, that's lovely. Uh, yeah, you've won everyone over there with with the uh, the the bringing the happy the happy homecoming dog. Everybody loves uh, one of those. Uh, yeah. I, I have cats, and actually, um, those I love dogs too. But uh, but some people who are quite anti cat don't really understand that actually cats do quite a lot of that stuff as well, but just in their own way. Um, but yeah, uh, so that was Cozy Sofa by Daniel Olson from Elo Milo, and uh, as always, we'll be interspersing. Uh, Brian's picks with some other picks from our community and we've got uh, a number of outstanding requests and it's always fun to delve back into the pile and see what we have yet to play so uh, this is from brazenhead89 who I don't think we've had a pick from before welcome along to sound of play and brazenhead says this is the ps1 version of a track taken from the second level of the game earthworm gym the level's called lorenzen's soil Whilst the Genesis version sounded suitably beautiful, even on that rough and gravelly sound chip, the 32-bit Saturn and PlayStation versions took that same composition and translated it expertly into this gorgeous ethereal track. I remember at the tender age of nine being not only surprised by how dramatically different the tone of this song was to the rest of the game, but the calming and hypnotic effect it had on me. I tucked the melody and the sounds in the back of my head and would play them back to myself when I found myself nervous or concentrating. Growing up in an age where this song is available at the click of a button makes me grateful that I no longer have to carry those memories in the back of my adolescent skull.
So that was Subterranean from the level Lorenzen Saw by Tommy Tallarico. Due to an admin error, the last time we featured a Tommy Tallarico track, I think we ended up featuring it twice from the game Treasures of the Deep. Uh, since then, Ryan and I have been do- doing a better job of communicating about which picks uh, from the forum <laughs> we've been featuring. That's from Earthworm Jim 2, which uh, which is a game I've still never played, even though I loved and played and uh, the first one, uh, completed it more than once. And I was misled by my girlfriend at the time that I was going to get Earthworm Jim 2 as my, my main Christmas present for that year that, that it came out. Uh, but uh, the reason she misled me was because she was in fact making sure that I got a Sony PlayStation. So she was, you know, I thought I was getting a game, but in fact I was getting a console. Uh, and That's the, some pretty uh, good misdirection. Yeah. That's some good misdirection right there. Yeah, that was, that was very exciting when I found out indeed. Uh, so, um, you started as a NES gamer. Um, did you go 16 bit after that? Or, uh, I, I'm trying to work out how, based on what you said before, how old you would have been in, in the mid nineties. Yeah, I went, I went 16 bit. I, uh, ended up with a super Nintendo, a SNES when I believe I got one for my 10th birthday and cool. it was for, it was definitely a birthday gift. Yeah, it was great. And I played, it's almost exclusively Nintendo. We didn't have, when I was a child, we didn't have a Sega Genesis or mm-hmm. uh, uh, any of the other consoles that were popular here. And so Super Nintendo was really uh, kind of my my first console. I really got to dig in and play some of those bigger games, those kind of, you know, sink your teeth into them, spend all weekend long, you know, tracking down different ferry locations in Link to the Past, for example, things like that. And that's where I really kind of, hit my stride video gaming wise it's um that and then from then from then on it was 64 and when i when i moved out of the house uh, is when i really kind of got into the playstation and kind of broadening my horizons a little bit once i started you know becoming a little bit of an adult so yeah and anything strike you about that particular piece uh i thought i really enjoyed the the drum beat and i thought it sounded a lot more modern than than the song actually is um, but the the vocals it breaks in the middle of the track and it has mm. that, those couple little vocal lines and I thought that it's just a unique thing in a song and it kind of brings you right back in and uh, the guitar solos t- towards the end are just ripping. <laughs> yeah, especially <laughs> uh, great. Tommy Tallarico is famous for that and obviously if you've ever seen uh, any footage from or or been lucky enough to go to one of his video games live concerts he he obviously is a uh, you know a frustrated guitar hero well probably not that frustrated because he gets to do it on stage in front of thousands of people but uh, uh yeah you can you can see he loves all that he loves the uh, the the posturing and the throwing shapes of, of the guitar uh but but yeah thanks to him yeah, the this, the the sort of idea of live video game music. I think he's he's been quite a proponent of of that whole scene, and obviously it's pretty major now. We've got uh, orchestral tours of Legend of Zelda going around the world, and all this sort of thing. So yeah, it's uh, yeah uh, hard to imagine all that when we were kids listening to stuff like uh, Mega Man, for instance, <laughs> to segue yeah. into your next pick. So. Um, Mega Man 2, I know, is the one that a lot of Mega Man or Rockman fans uh, speak of as the high point of the series. Now, when you consider how many Mega Man games there are, that's kind of sad in a way. It's like they did the first one and it was and it was cool, but it needed a sequel to find, you know, to flourish. Then they made the sequel and they kind of knocked out the park by all accounts. And ever since then, I've <laughs> like made nine more. Uh, and then there's the Mega Man X series and various other things. Uh, so there's like 30 Mega Man games, but still, according to most fans I know, 
uh, Mega Man Two is still the the apex. Is that how is that how it goes for you? Have you stayed with the series all these years? Absolutely, I have stayed with the series all these years, and I and I do concur with with most of the community that this was the high point. Right. In fact, when I when I fir- when I first heard from you that I was going to have the opportunity to be on the show. It wasn't a matter of if I was going to pick a, a a track from Mega Man Two. It was a matter of which track would I be picking from Mega yeah, Man Two. Sure, and uh, it's it really was the game that 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 first drew me in and and made me an obsessive platforming fan, to which I still am. And uh, this game, I, I I I don't have enough good things to say about it. Um, when when my brother and I were children, the small town Leon was the was the rental. Uh, trade very big in in england when you were a child no um so it came the the rental side of things came in over here in the 16-bit era because before that it was computers and cassettes and 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 discs if you were lucky so you couldn't really rent those because they would just get pirated so um but yeah in the early 90s um the mega drive and super nintendo we had blockbusters doing rental but i don't think it was quite as big a scene as it was in the u.s no okay because it, we had a little video store in the town I live in, Attica, New York, called Attica Video, and mm. it was a little hole in the wall type of place. But the the walls were just lined with VHS cassettes and and yeah. NES games, and their NES selection was for our little town was I was pretty diverse and, and big. And I I can remember going in there, and at the time, you know, video game release dates at that time to me as such a child were an abstract concept. It was just you'd go into the store, and eventually something new would be on the shelf, so that must be when it came out. So I remember in the early 90s when Mega Man 2 made its way onto the shelf of my little video store and I I rented it because I was a pretty big fan of the first one and just being completely blown away. And uh, the the track which I selected, which is from the Metal Man stage, Mm. uh, I selected because of the fact that for whatever reason, and I think looking back at it now, um, after if you look at guides and, and different things these days, they they do suggest going to Metal Man first because he is he is one of the easier uh, robot masters to take down and his his power is very useful against Woodman and different and you can kind of go down the line from there. But I just remember uh, queuing that game up, listening to the entrance music, picking the stage, and then listening to this track come on and and this this track in particular really is the bar to which I hold all the video game music in my head, specifically good platforming music because it has to have a certain pacing to to you know kind of press the player along at least and that's yeah. that's the way i see it just thinking about the way that this game's music kind of plays out absolutely metal man let's hear it takashi tateshi Thank you. 
was Metal Man from Mega Man 2. And uh, I know some of uh, Tateishi's music from some of the arcade games that he worked on around the time, uh, such as Sidearms and UN Squadron. Uh, those were uncredited, as was often the tradition back in the day. And I've only dabbled with Mega Man up to now. I own the, the Anniversary Collection and, and Mega Man 9. And, uh, and so later this year, we're going to be tackling Mega Man 1 and 2 for Kane and Rint's podcast, issue 296. So I've, I've already made a mental note of what you just said about the order of which to tackle the, uh, <laughs> the levels. Uh, I may have to do some, some research. I want to, if possible, try to complete the games as you you guys would have done as as kids uh without you know abusing save states and things like that um time and age may get the better of me so i hope listeners will forgive me <laughs> if i have to uh if i have to uh, lean on uh, certain modern niceties to to get them uh to get them done but uh i i still i still maintain that actually um my my action gameplay has not noticeably deteriorated even though I'm, I'm i'm 45 next month i don't feel like i've actually got worse at at twitch and uh and demanding video games over the years so we shall see whether mega man will better me <laughs> yeah, i i just recently played through the the entire legacy collection because it was on oh, sale wow. on the xbox one store yes and i i played through all six and the only one I could do without save state was two because <laughs> I think right. just my familiarity with oh, it. Crikey. But well, the that's... rest, I, I I, got about halfway through Mega Man 1 and I just said, oh, well, I'll, 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 I'll just save my state one time just to get this past this one boss. And once I once I broke that dam, there was no coming back. <laughs> I just kept using it throughout. I had a great time, though. So, Yeah, as long as you still enjoy it. That's the main thing. I think uh, there, are, there are ways to use save states and ways to abuse save states. And I think... If it's a case of you could theoretically come back to a level, at, you know, a game and 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 keep bashing your head against it until you got through it. But it is actually as much as anything, it's about saving your precious time and not having to go through those early levels over and over again until you do the perfect right. run kind of thing. Um, ultimately, unless you're saving every few seconds, you still have to perform the the skills to to get through the game. So. Um, but yes, we still, I still come back. We refer to this every so often, but, but we all, we all abused save states on Zelda two to get through Zelda two. Is that one that you completed back in the day? Oh God, I, I had it, but I most certainly did not complete it. I remember, okay. uh, hours of frustrating afternoons filled with restarting Zelda two and just wondering, wondering why I was doing it to myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I know that feeling. Wow. Uh, yeah, so something way more up-to-date now from the forum. It's uh, Mr. Jobo Bonobo. I say Mr. I think I think Mr. Jo- Jobo Bonobo, but I don't know their gender. Anyway, since summer will be with us shortly, says Jobo. And in fact, as I read this, it is extremely hot here in uh, Brighton, UK on uh, May the 25th. Uh, I thought the music that plays during the credits of Bully would be most appropriate. School's Out by Sean Lee evokes a nostalgia of summertime adolescence that is a perfect way to end what I feel is one of Rockstar's finest outings. Uh, Brian, you don't feel so, so kindly disposed towards bully. I understand. I, it, I bounced off it a number of times. I tried when it first came out as obviously as a, as a PlayStation two owner at the time and, and a, and a games fan when, when a new Rockstar title came out, I mean, even now when a new Rockstar title comes out, I get excited. Oh yeah. But particularly then I, you know, we were just, clamoring for for new rockstar material and and i I got bully and i was excited and and i I rushed through the first 10 hours and loved it and for some reason i i kept bouncing off i 
I hmm. suffered from that anxiety in some games that I seem to get where it's just a what do I do with the time I'm allowed? Uh, you know how to how to manage well. all my mask syndrome. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I and I never came back to it. So then when they re-released it on on 360 uh and i can't remember yeah. the name of the edition um scholarship edition yeah yes yeah and i and i so i said you know what it was on sale in the store i'm going to get it i'm going to try it again and I, I i can't be certain but it must have been within moments of the exact time i bounced off it last time <laughs> i bounced off it again right and i it happens but judging from the song um i i i wish i would have stuck with it cuz I, I really do like this track That was Schools Out by Sean Lee from the terrific soundtrack to Bully, or as it was originally known briefly, Carnis Carnim Edit to avoid controversies. We covered Bully back in Kane and Rince podcast issue 187. I wasn't on that one, uh, but I have finished the game. Uh, I just wasn't on that show, but I remember enjoying it quite some years ago now. Next up, we have from our guest Brian, a Kane and Rince community member, listener, occasional contributor. 
we have a request for an artist and a game that uh, that pops up once or twice on Sound of Play, and we never mind, <laughs> and uh, nobody ever complains. Uh, so Final Fantasy VII and Nobuo Uematsu. Uh, now, this one in particular is, uh, we haven't had this before, so what is it about uh, the wall market theme that uh, that you love so much? Uh, aside from just the fact that I love, love, love the bass line in this song and how it just plods along and just gives you that feeling of that seedy underbelly of Midgur that exists, this kind of almost sleazy, swanky area. Um, aside from all that and just the fact that I love the tune, um, mm. when I, my, my, one of my best friends as I was a child got a PlayStation. We didn't have a PlayStation in my house, so we would go to his house and he had Final right. Fantasy VII. And it was the first game they had for the system. But his parents, when they bought it for us when we were children, did not know that they also needed a memory card for the PlayStation. So we'd put in Final Fantasy VII Disc 1 and we'd play <laughs> as long as we could until we either died or fell asleep or, or what have you because we couldn't save. And one of the areas that we always like, you know, kind of benchmarked to. And this went on for a, a month or so before we got a memory card or before before he got Goodness. one, should I say. I remember um, hearing anecdotal tales of this. I was <laughs> obviously I was I was I was older and I had I had the wherewithal to both understand and afford memory cards. But <laughs> I remember reading about this, like people playing Final Fantasy, leaving their consoles on for months yes. and, and all this kind of crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of madness. one of the situations. Yeah, absolute madness. But um so we 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 would we would wall market was just getting towards the end of your time in Midgar and uh, or Midgar I'm not sure how it's pronounced but they uh, you get to wall market and we would always when we got this is where we would take a break and we'd either get some food or whatever because we'd like to leave the song on in the background because we really love the music and then yeah. just the gameplay in that section where you're scavenger hunting for Cloud's uh, outfit so he can sneak into the uh, to the brothel and and everything else I just yeah. it was a really unique aspect and i'd already liked and played through a lot of um uh, jrpgs on my on my snes i'm a huge jrpg fan but this is the first one where i can remember as we were playing it over and over again over the months at my friend's house just like really feeling like we were it part of something for lack of a better term something special something new something modern and it just was exciting and this this song just uh it means a lot to me and and as a musician too uh, when I when I picked up the bass guitar for the first time when I was 17, the very first thing I learned was the bass track from this wall market theme.
So that's Oppressed People from the Wall Market, from Final Fantasy VII. I'm sure many of you know it. The thing that I always thought and still think every time I hear that is The Secret of Monkey Island. The, the <laughs> reggae, the Caribbean sort of feel. It sounds so much like one of Michael Land's compositions from, from Monkey Island. I wonder if Uematsu was influenced, whether he'd played Monkey Island. I don't even know if there was a Japanese translation of Monkey Island. I suspect there probably was because it, hmm. it was a big deal. But, uh, or may, it may just be happenstance. Um, but yeah, it's a very cool piece. Uh, you mentioned before there, Brian, that you're also a musician. So a bass player or a multi-instrumentalist or is, is bass your, is bass your, your groove? Um, bass is what I primarily play now. I started learning guitar when I was uh, about 12 years old or so in school and, and took to it. So my, my parents actually bought me a guitar when I was in high school and I took lessons and, and then I got into bass in college and bass was a lot easier. <laughs> so for lack of a better, I kind of, I kind of cheesed out on, on the easier instrument and then, and then finding out later as I played it for longer and longer that it was quite complex and, and had a lot yeah. to it. Just, you had to, had to spend the time to learn. So I primarily play bass, but I play some keyboard and guitar as well. And, and just dabble really just started dabbling and recording some music of my own. It's all, it's all very exciting. Ah, just, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, cool. <laughs> never enough time for your hobbies, you know? So, <laughs> no, well, true enough. Yes. But, uh, uh, ambitions to compose for games. I, yes, I, I'd love to, I, I kind of, don't really know how that all works and and was just kind of so I've been writing songs recently that I you know songs that I think would fit in certain type of genres or games like oh this this song might be good for a platforming level or this song might be like a yeah. boss battle or a or a or a village and so I'm just dipping my toes in the water and I kind of I, I actually just put my my first one up on uh on YouTube and I'm just kind of testing it out to see how it goes it's i Regardless of whether or not it goes anywhere, which I, I have no anticipation that it will, just it it's very satisfying to just kind of create something and see it there and listen to it and then and it, it's, oh, yeah. it's it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Absolutely. Uh, well, um, we've we've had featured some uh, well known composers on here recently. Uh, I hope you've been listening, and we've also featured uh, some uh, young uh, aspiring composers as well. We had Craig Windle on here, uh, Windmills at yeah, Dawn, great a show. few months back, and. He's since uh, got his first uh, commission on a podcast, so he's writing the theme for a gaming podcast currently. So, uh, you know, we can make things happen. If if uh, if you get a few tunes together and come back on and, and share some of those, who knows what might happen. I, I'd, I'd welcome the opportunity. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, speaking of compositions and great composers, we have one here. They're one of the three amazing composers who worked on the Akami soundtrack is Ray Kondo. Fortunately, uh, the data is out there to tell us who did what on Akami, which is a, a rare treat. Uh, and this is requested by Mononoke, appropriately named from the forum. Easily one of my all-time favorite video game soundtracks for its unique fusion of traditional Japanese music with bombastic orchestral flair. My previous Shogun 2 submission accomplishes something similar too. I could pick any number of tracks from this wonderful score, but for me, The Sunrises really stands out as representing this blend between the two worlds the best. It is a very momentum-driven piece with its quick tempo and beating well beat. And if memory serves, it is used in a few of the game's race against time moments within the narrative. Never has Japanese-style music sounded so pumping yet so atmospheric at the same time.
So that was from the sprawling... I always forget how many discs uh, our Jay, who will be editing this podcast, hello Jay, uh, has the OST. Uh, last time I said, I think it, I think I said it was three discs last time, and he said it was four, but maybe I said it was four and it's five. Anyway, it's a lot of discs. Um, it's, a, it's a big, old, uh, lavish soundtrack and uh, a wonderful thing. We covered the game, Akami, back on Kane and Rint's podcast, issue 61. And uh, is that a game that you have any uh, history with, experience of playing? Absolutely, I'm. I am a huge Okami fan. I, when I I first graduated from college, I moved away to our our nation's capital to try to strike out on my own a little bit. And mm. the only thing I had with me there, beside from my roommate, who's my my one of my best friends, was my PlayStation. And I, it was during the area where really we were moving past PlayStation Two. We were in Xbox 360. I didn't have the money for that, so I was I was going through old catalogs of of. PlayStation games, the PlayStation and PlayStation Two games, I would have missed, and I ordered Okami on eBay based on a, a friend's recommendation, and and boy, I <laughs> I fell I fell down that hole about as hard as you could fall. I uh, I I adore that game. I completely agree. We uh, we pretty much gushed over it on our on our podcast, which was some years ago now, um, and that was the third version that I played was the the most recent version to be released, which was the PlayStation Three HD version. It's a pretty darn nice way to play it as well yeah beautiful um, on, yeah uh, they did some nice work on on upgrading those assets and uh, yeah sadly as it stands that's still the last version you can get um i think there was a disc release in japan but not elsewhere um but hopefully it will i, I guess it might come to playstation 2 on ps4 which kind of get a an up anyway but what i'd like to see is capcom to basically re-release it on PS4 as you know the HD version that's already there um, with with all the the niceties and bells and whistles of that version just make it available on current formats because although there's lots of us especially the kind of people who who listen to Kane and Rince and Sound of Play who keep all their old consoles a lot of people do the thing where they either sell or pack away their old machines and that makes some of these games inaccessible so personally I'm all for I'm all for remasters and re-releases and remakes um, just because it keeps these things available on all formats. I, I don't really subscribe to the idea that you're being forced to buy things again. You're not. Uh, it's, no. it's an option, though. Yeah, I, I agree completely. They the, the remasters that they've been coming out with, I find myself getting more and more excited because they're picking games and series and and different things to try to, to, to get to, to keep modern. And by keeping it modern, it keeps it alive and exposes it to new fans, new generation. And I, I, I would, I'd be clamoring for an Okami, you know, PS4 HD release. If it was something that, you know, could be accomplished. Yeah. The way that uh, our Josh always talks about it is in, in terms of remasters re-releases is that he considers it's done well and we know that it doesn't always work out that way uh for for various reasons and some some remasters remakes are, are sloppier than others but some of them are, are beautiful things and the beautiful ones are like uh the equivalent of the criterion collection dvd so if if you as a a, a fan of a particular film are happy to keep your your original dvd release from back in the day and just keep on watching that that's you know in standard def and with no features and whatever that's fine you can do that but for those of us who want you know the deluxe package with with all the bells and whistles then it's nice to have that option i think i agree now 
is another unusual pick, <laughs> Brian. Uh, I think people are now just picking tracks from the soundtrack to try to get me to say the composer's name. I'm actually going to, we, we're actually, before we cover The Witcher 3 on the podcast later this year, uh, we're actually consulting with a, a Polish uh, associate to find out how to pronounce these names. Now, maybe, maybe you've been practicing. I don't know, but this is, this is by Marcin, the name that I've attempted and mangled so many times. Uh, care to give it a go, or would you like to swerve I, that? I believe it's Przbilowicz. Okay, that Przbilowicz. makes it sound so much easier. I well, it, we right. have a we have a very large Polish popul Polish American population yeah. outside of Buffalo, and uh, we right. uh, I I've I work and have friends with names like uh, Boczkowski and uh, I mean cool. just these long. Um, Long Polish names with a, a lot of consonants in a row, and so uh, us us Western New Yorkers tend to tend to have at least a, a yeah. little bit ahead of the game. But I'm still I'm nowhere near confident that that was the right pronunciation. <laughs> it's good. It's closer than I've ever gotten. I like it. Anyway, so this is one of his many amazing tracks from from The Witcher Three. So what made you pick the Wolven Storm? I I like most other people got The Witcher Three when it when it first came out. Very excited about it. I I, I I dipped my toes into The Witcher with The Witcher Two, and uh, Witcher Three really brought it uh, to to a level where, where I it became a game that I absolutely love. Like most people, people have wide praise for it. But at the beginning of the game, I was not initially thrilled or taken with the story. I thought it was interesting. It mm -hmm. was keeping me. It was keeping me plodding along, and and I was. But I was mostly just kind of playing Gwent, and you know chasing down monsters when I and I was having a riot doing that there was nothing wrong with that but I wasn't getting that f pull from the story that a lot of people were and I'm the type of player when it comes to those games if I have an objective list and there there's level specific I have to do the ones that are the lowest level first even if I'm over leveled oh, yeah. I just I can't like I want to see everything I want to do everything and yep so I'd been putting off this quest where it was dandelion was missing and you kind of you've you had to go chase down a bunch of his lovers and find out where he was, and they didn't really give you much information. But then you found this diary that had this woman Priscilla in it, and so you had to go to her essentially their the the, the tavern where they also perform. And mm. you walk in, and it's an it's another Witcher cutscene, which that game has several. And most cutscenes for me, I I'm I'm interested for the first few minutes, but if they drag on too long or and if it's not too interesting, I kind of I, I don't press the start button. I'll watch the whole thing, but I get as distracted as anybody else. I might check my Twitter status or something like that. But yeah. you walk into this tavern and those first few notes of that lute hit. I believe it's a lute that's playing. It sounds like a lute. They mm. they hit and that twang, and then even they have that great scene where even the patrons of the bar who were drinking and not paying attention all kind of turn to look when those first and it I felt the right. same way from the couch I just kind of turn and focus and then those vocals came in and I was just blown away I, I I'm not sure how how the translation worked for for all of the vocals I'm not sure if it if it if it rhymed in Polish and it and it didn't rhyme in English I'm not quite sure how it worked but even the the atypical rhyming scheme I found just really uh, just beautiful and the story it told made sense to me it gave me context for why Geralt and Yennefer had this past and how they felt about each other yet they couldn't be together and all of like just all of it wrapped into one and I just I sat there for the the, the three minutes or, or however long the song was just completely transfixed by that cutscene mm. and after that I was just 
not that I wasn't already in, but I was just head over heels, diving in head first. I really cared about all the characters involved. I wanted to get Geralt back with Yennefer. I wanted to get Dandelion back to be with Priscilla. I just, it, it all, it just really made the game take form for me. And, and I, and I pretty much just sprinted through the end. I didn't play another game for the next 80 hours. I just, I just couldn't stop. And yes, credit to that vocal. So Emma Hiddleston is the uh, both the singer and the actor who plays uh, the part of Priscilla. Uh, she is indeed the sister of the perhaps at this point rather more famous Tom Hiddleston. Um, she's <laughs> got a she got a double first in her Cambridge degree for anthropology. So she's smart. She can sing. Uh, she was uh, she started acting in Holby City, which is a, a fairly uh, bog standard. Um, medical drama over here let's say it's it's a little on the trashy side but since then she's been in uh, wolf hall which is a highly acclaimed historical drama um but her most recent credit is actually the witcher 3 so i, I wonder what she's working on currently oh, wow. perhaps perhaps she's treading the boards uh, or something like that uh, but yes so uh, listen out for these uh, this you can absolutely tell that from the accent that um this is an uh, an english woman like sometimes accents are kind of homogenized in music so american people can sound english and vice versa and, and things like that and scandinavian accents can disappear but here this is she is absolutely singing with an english accent and it's uh, it's very striking so yeah let's hear it the wolven storm priscilla's song When it all began 
daydream come the morning Your scent, berries tart, lilacs sweet To dream of raven locks and twisted stormy The Witcher series of podcasts is coming your way on Cane and Rinse. That's a separate subscription to this one. You probably know, but I think we do have some listeners who listen to Sound of Play, but not Cane and Rinse. You should rectify that. In my opinion. <laughs> uh, from issue 274, we're, we're covering the first, uh, The Witcher. And then in a month or two after that, The Witcher 2. And then sometime after that, by the end of the year, it'll be The Witcher 3. And then we're doing a separate podcast for the DLC because it's so enormous and we need time to play it, and we need time to talk about it. I'm currently about halfway through the original The Witcher, and this is my my Witcher uh, cherry popping. I'm trying oh, to wow. think of a nicer way of putting that. Um, but yes, I've gone back to the start. I'd only I'd played about two minutes of two and three just to look at them, um, <laughs> and so I've gone back to the start. I'm going to be fully invested, and uh, it'd be interesting interesting to talk about that because obviously that game is now ten years old. And uh, it's PC only. It doesn't have a lot of sort of modern uh, niceties like controller controls and things like that. So it's a, it's an old school PC RPG with a mouse and lots and lots of little icons to click on and things like that. And uh, and and I think the voice acting is a long way where it ended up. You know, ten years later or whatever. So yeah, it should be fun to, to talk about. But we wanted to go, you know, in the traditional style. We wanted to go back to the start and do things properly. Now, uh, we featured uh, recently Joe Tikaz. He's been on this show before, but he also came back on uh, with Codename Trigger Thumb, his, his uh, video game-themed band. Uh, let's check out that show. Uh, but this is just him simply requesting a track that I thought would fit nicely in here. And Joe says, I've interviewed many composers through the years in an effort to support them and make sure they get the recognition which they deserve. One of my favourites, of course, is George Sanger. This track from one of the most incredible NES soundtracks and games of all time is one of my favourites off of Maniac Mansion. It's worth noting that David Warhol also did much of the music, but I have it straight from the horse's mouth that George wrote and composed this one. This is the title from Maniac Mansion, the NES version from Lucasfilm.
so the original scores by Chris Grigg and David Lawrence, but as Joe says, he has it from the horse's mouth that George Sanger wrote that particular piece from Maniac Mansion. Now, you were a, a child when the NES was about, so was Maniac Mansion perhaps with its puzzles and, and obscureness and, and humour, was it was it uh, something that maybe your, your older brother would have played rather than you, or do you have any memories of it? Um, I, I have some memories of it, but they're kind of uh, they're kind of backwards because my brother did play and love this game. In fact, it was one of the right. probably 10, 15 NES games that we actually owned in the house, and I never could get into it. I was too young, first of all, when it came out to, to really understand it. And it, yeah, it to me, like to me, when I when I started a game and I was that young, and and all of a sudden there were words on the screen. I know that sounds silly, but that was just enough to turn me off. I wanted, no, t- I wanted to run yeah. and jump and and it wasn't my thing but i particularly remember when we got a little older we had a pc in the house uh, windows 3.1 and my brother brought home from school a friend of his had day of the tentacle and we played that together and i absolutely loved it my brother was 17 and i was 12 and he said to me that maniac mansion which we still had in the house was uh, was the prequel or you know the at least the the predecessor to um yeah, to Day of the Tentacle. So I went back and played it afterwards. It's buried inside as well, isn't it? Maniac Mansion. Yes. you can play in Day of the Tentacle, which is amazing. Yeah. When I was on my way, I still haven't gotten it yet. I'm I'm determined to get the platinum in Day of the Tentacle for the the remaster. And one of the yeah. trophies is based on playing the original Maniac Mansion up to a certain point. You have to play until you get the hamster in right. the microwave. I haven't quite done it yet because I haven't gotten around to it, but um. But yeah, I went back and played it, loved the music, and I loved the feel. I just remember how hard it was to do a point-and-click adventure with that NES controller. <laughs> that was a, It could become yeah. cumbersome, but boy, boy, what a great game. Yeah, great example of um, control solutions not always working. Uh, the Cane the Rinse guys and I were talking the other day about uh, real-time strategy games on, on console, trying, remembering trying to play Command & Conquer on the PS1, uh, <laughs> the first version, which didn't, which didn't support a mouse so it was yeah it was a case of dragging cubes with a d-pad uh, and all that sort of thing not cubes, oh, yeah. squares, but you know what i mean highlight selections uh yeah so now you've um you've got day of the tentacle remastered i think a lot of us will have because it was a playstation plus game rather excellently uh have you got desires on thimbleweed park the spiritual I, successor i'm currently uh, about three or four hours into thimbleweed park my my wife and I are playing it together. She really has enjoyed oh, the game. Brilliant. When I had a PlayStation Vita um, and that game came out, PS Plus Day of the Tentacle did, uh, mm. my wife played it on the Vita. She had never played a point-and-click adventure before because when she was a child, they didn't have any video games in the house at all. So right. she played Day of the Tentacle, really liked it, and then when, when Thimbleweed Park came out and she saw me playing it, she's like, well, let's play that together. So we're kind of playing it slow and steady, but that's kind of a really neat way to enjoy a game like that. It's... um. You kind of play it at your own pace. You don't mind really taking your time, thoroughly exploring the world and, and finding what Ron Gilbert's, um, some of the dialogue in there is, I mean, it's all, it's all humorous, but some things are, are laugh out loud, hilarious in that game. It's really quite an achievement to, to, to bring that feeling back in this era of games. We've, uh, we've just released at, uh, at the time that most of you would be listening to this, our Tetris podcast for for Kane and Rince and we were talking about how that was a game which uh, perhaps broadened the traditional demographic of gamers but I think at the, around the same time I think the point and click adventures of, of LucasArts were doing perhaps not not quite you know because it didn't they didn't sell quite as many numbers as Tetris on the Game Boy did but I definitely think that um, I remember you know, uh, 
female friends at the time when I was in my teenage years, perhaps, you know, showing slightly more interest towards some of those games with that that relied on smarts and intelligence rather than, uh, you know, shooting mans and all that kind of thing. So, uh, so well done Lucasfilm. And and yes, uh, actually Thimbleweed Park seems to have been a successful uh, retro revival Kickstarter kind of situation um, compared to some of the others which have happened and then seemingly disappointed uh, in a lot of cases. Uh, yes, yeah, so that request, as I say, was from Joe Tikaz. Uh, he was he joined me on Sound of Play 63, and he and his band joined Ryan on Sound of Play 88. Uh, and also I was on a podcast of his, uh, his Gamer Joe radio show, uh, which was, it was episode two, and it's called Gaming for Mental Health. So uh, seek that out if you wish. Remember, listeners, please venture over to the forum at canerince.com slash forum. You can also follow us on Twitter. Use the hashtag Sound of Play if you want and request tracks. We also have a Facebook page. You can message us there. Uh, request your favourites and other curios and oddities, as I always say, because it doesn't just have to be the songs that you love. We like those, but we also like stuff which is weird or interesting or has a story attached to it. As you've heard, we'll play most anything, uh, unless it's completely unlistenable. And even then, we'll think about it. Uh, we'll continue to include a selection in the playlist for each regular Sound of Play. Please do subscribe to the podcast uh, from wherever you can, wherever you get it. iTunes reviews and ratings are incredibly welcome and useful uh, beyond just downloads. They help uh, the show go higher up the charts, basically, because Apple have a really complicated uh, algorithm uh, that is about engagement. Speaking of engagement, we also have a Patreon where you can uh, offer us donations for the work that we do, that we put into this and Kane and Rince, the many hours of podcasting that we produce takes even many more hours to actually make. And uh, that's work, uh, work time, really, uh, time that we can't be doing work. So patreon.com slash Kane and Rince, uh, and the minimum there is a dollar a month. But if you want to just donate once and then quit, you can do that too. So, Brian, before we hear about your last pick, I want to thank you for joining me and being thank such you a lovely me. forthcoming guest. Uh, and uh, I also want to thank our community contributors. Keep those requests coming. So, Brian, have you got anything that you want to plug, such as your blog, your musical work, anything really, as long as it's not, you know, politically offensive? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll try to be, stay away I'm from sure. that. Um, <laughs> no, I <laughs> anything anything that I have, I, I I put on my on my Twitter feed. It's at Angry Zeus Gaming. AngryZeusGaming.com is my blog, which is has, has which needs some tender loving care to bring back into <laughs> um, to the modern era. But it does have some articles on there I I've written and and really I'm just kind of focusing on writing some new music and, and putting it out there. I just have been dabbling with YouTube. So if you follow me at angryzeusgaming.com, I'll put those songs up there and, and let me know what you think. All, all criticism is, is welcome. Cause I, cause I really would welcome anybody else's opinion, especially those who love gaming music. It would be invaluable. So, and thank you again for having me, Leon. I've, I've had an absolute blast. Oh, no problem. And uh, yes, yeah, so any potentially uh, anyone who's uh, developing a game and looking for a new and uh, hitherto, hitherto unknown musical artist, perhaps check out Brian's work. So our last pick uh, is from yet another game that we've covered on the uh, the other podcasts. Kane Rince 234. This was The Wolf Among Us. So, uh, yeah, this is in the, the realm of the point and click adventure that we've just been talking about. Is this one that, uh, that hit home with you? Uh, absolutely. I... I had never. I didn't know that the graphic novel fables existed. I, I wasn't aware of it. Right. I didn't. I 
I had no previous knowledge of it, and I never had played The Wolf Among Us until uh, it came out Games with Gold, I believe last year on Xbox yeah. One. And so it mm-hmm. came out Games with Gold, and I downloaded it, and I, I was almost burnt out on the Telltale formula. I would played the Game of Thrones game, The Walking Dead, and I it was one of those things where I wasn't sure if I was ready f- to go down that road again with uh, Telltale. And then I... I I downloaded The Wolf Among Us and I, I played it in, in two sittings. I remember because my, my wife would comment on coming out because she was found the art style unique and interesting. The world was mm. engaging, but very dark and and and, not, and no pun intended, incredibly grim. And mm-hmm. it was it was just so not in such like a an ugly place. Everything about it was that had that just that grime on it. And that prologue song, the song that plays at the beginning of each chapter is just, I don't know how else to convey it other than it perfectly sculpts the world you're about to enter. It it feels, it just feels right. He's uh, big, big B wolf is walking down the street, smoking a cigarette kind of under street lights and under the elevated train that goes above him. And, and this, this pumping elect, almost electronica just without that harsh beat behind it is just waving behind him. And it just, it really just sets you up for like the kind of story you're in for. You're in for something dark. You're in for something raw, but also, you know, draped in fantasy. And I just, it it couldn't have, in my opinion, better framed the world. It was just a perfect, perfect uh, song for the, for this game. Wonderful. So with irony, we close this sound of play with a prologue song by the multi award winning, uh, appallingly talented and still only 35 years old Jared Emerson Johnson uh, so just remains for me Leon to thank Brian again and uh, we'll see you next time on Sound of Play <laughs>